Welcome to the Chuck Shoe Podcast, and thank you for checking out this little show of mine if you're a first-time listener. I'm sure you're not here for me. You're probably here for the man, the legend himself, Dave Elveson from Megadeth. Not only one of the biggest metal bands ever, but I would even say maybe one of the biggest rock bands ever. Uh, Megadeth sold over 38 million records worldwide. Uh, Dave is obviously most well-known for being the bass player with Megadeth, but he does have a lot of other projects going on at least three of which involve my second guest, Mr. Drew Fortier, who was the guitarist in Bang Tango. And I have to say, I've been doing this podcast for about 17 months, and I think Drew is probably the kindest, most selfless guest I've ever had the pleasure of having on my show. Maybe one of the nicest people I've just ever met in my whole life. And so uh, Drew and Dave, they have a new book that comes out on uh, December 18th. It's called Rockstar Hitmen. And they also have a found footage horror movie coming out uh, called Dwellers and also an album coming out with my past guests, Vinny Dombrowski from Sponge and Mike Heller from Fear Factory. That uh, project is called Lucid and that should be coming out soon as well. So we're going to get to all these projects. We're going to talk about Megadeth, Bang Tango and so much more. Lots of great stuff here. Make sure to check it out. Enjoy. Welcome Drew Fortier to the Chuck Shoot podcast. So uh, tell me about how you got into music. I, th- I think because you're younger, but and you're listening to like older kind of bands like Bang Tango and stuff like that. Um, you got into it because of your older brother, who's 11 years older. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. Yeah, my older brother George. And um, yeah, growing up, I was just I got an older sister too, uh, Diane. She's seven years older, and uh, I just remember I was born in '87, so like early '90s. They always had uh, Headbangers Ball on MTV. Yes. So, you know, I, I, you know, so I kind of like a, pretty much Ricky Reichman was like my babysitter, you know, and uh, so every you know, Saturday videos, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh. You have the bang tangle. They, they used to tape it, too. So I used to watch other reruns. Uh, and I was just like, a, you know, I just had no choice but to like it because, you know, that's, that's what they watched. Yeah. You know, so the, the, you grew up with that music and then eventually you ended up going to a bang tango concert. And tell me the story, how you met the singer. You had a camera in your hand. Were you just recording for fun or were you recording for the venue? But you had a camera in your hand and the singer came up to you and I'll let you tell the rest of the story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a place I was uh, bartending at, at uh, South side of Chicago called Mike's Love and Music. And it was on my off day. And prior to that, my, my boss was like, hey, we're going to have Bang Tango play here. He's like, oh, I remember Bang Tango. You know? Yeah. And uh, he was like, yeah, you know, he's like, you should bring a camera and shoot some video and all that. You know, we could, you know, promote the venue and everything and all that. I was like, yeah, cool. So, uh, and I remember Joe from Beautiful Creatures. Sure. Uh, and I was a big fan of that band too. And uh, you cut out. Uh, and so I, I'm just by the door, all timid. I was in my like, uh, early 20s. And uh, still kind of shy. And then he saw me, had long hair, and he just kind of saunters over, and he's like, I get my Joel Estate impression. Hey, man, you look cool. You know I can find some weed? <laughs> I, was like, uh, I was like, no, 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 man, I don't. Sorry. What's that in your hand? And it was a camera. I was like, oh, that's, it's called a camera. And, uh, and he was like, whoa, we're recording an album in Chicago in two weeks. You should come out and do like a studio documentary. And that's how I ended up here. Uh, but uh, yeah, so the, this, everything unfolded from there. And um, it started off as like a studio documentary for their album, uh, Pistol Whipped in the Bible, though. And didn't you play, play on that album like, as well? Yeah. 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 I played a little bit on the, the, the song Live Life. And I do like backing vocals on a song called Boombox Seance. Did you, now, and, did uh, you play guitar time. before uh, doing that? Had you played, you played guitar before this? 
or did you just learn for that album? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've been I, I play guitar since I was like uh, like twelve or thirteen. Okay, uh, so something like that. But this was like uh, this was probably like five years before I joined the band. Sure, <laughs> sure. And uh, and uh, but yeah, that was I was in the studio every single day. And ironically, it was at Johnny K's Groove Masters in Chicago, and big studio. And upstairs from where we were, Johnny K was mixing the then new Megadeth album, thirteen. Oh. So then all these years later, here, here I am with Dave doing all this stuff. Yeah. But you didn't see him at that time, right? You wouldn't meet him till later, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Many years later. But uh, but it was, uh, it was, thinking about it now, it was kind of cool. Yeah, so. But, uh, yeah, then. <clears throat> oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so you ended up doing this documentary kind of without having like a lot of training or had never done anything like that before, but they let you do it and they kind of gave you free reign to do it how you wanted to do it. Um, and, and it ended up really well, actually. I, I watched it a few years ago when it came out on YouTube. Attack of Life is the name. Um, there's like some good uh, guest spots in it, D Snyder's in it and uh, some other mm-hmm. Ricky Rackman's, I believe, is, is in as well. Um, now, what is the stuff, though, that um, is there anything that that was on the cutting room floor that you couldn't put in the movie that you could, that you maybe you could talk about it now, you know, it's been a few years, like nobody cares about it now. Is there any dirt or crazy wild times that you couldn't show? Absolutely. <laughs> so much. So that, much. That, that, so give me oh, yeah, something. That, that, give me that, one that. thing that was like, well, I couldn't put this <laughs> in, but or you don't have to say names if that makes it easier to tell the story. Okay. I'll, uh, Oh God. I'll, I'll throw some random words out there. Okay. Uh, Bang Tango. Okay. Uh, the band. Recording of the first the band. Recording of the first album. Uh, first night at the studio. College Town. Uh, young females. Okay. Uh, I'm with you so far. Medals. Ping pong. <laughs> uh, broken plate glass window. Oh. Boy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, I mean, this is a story that Howard Benson told that I had I had to take out. Oh, really? And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's because uh, <laughs> it was incriminating, <laughs> or was it just uh, too crude? Or? It was. Uh, it, it's nothing that wasn't probably shown in the dirt, you know. But uh, yeah, but where it sat, where it sat in the movie, it was way early on. Okay, and it just uh, came off. It's like with it being that early on to learn about that stuff, you really ended up like not liking the original band that much off the bat. So it was oh. better to leave it out altogether. Sure. And, and uh, times were different in the eighties. You know, this, I'm sure this was all, I, I hope it was all consensual and stuff, but uh, you know, it was kind of oh, yeah. like, it was a different time back then. People were a little more free and loose and. Exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and I, you, know, and every, you know, everybody's getting Weinstein now and I'm really surprised the sunset strip bands haven't been, you know, <laughs> caught up in that. To be well, yeah. And then, uh, you know, some of it was, uh, was males, male on male Weinstein kind of thing. Like Janie Lane from Warrant. Yeah. There's a story about right. him being uh, molested by an older musician, like basically drugged and raped. I and mean, that's kind of scary stuff. So, I mean, I think that kind of thing, if it's girl or boy, that's clearly, I think yeah. that's always been wrong. I don't think there was ever a, a fine line there. It's no, just yeah. one of those things where people didn't talk about it. And that's one thing yeah, I would exactly. say. The Me Too is a good thing because then these kind of things are people are getting caught for this kind of crap. So, yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, even with like the actors too, like Corey Feldman and all that, and uh, Corey yeah. Hame and everything. Just that, it's just, it gets so dark and weird when you start looking into that stuff, man. Like it's it's nuts. Yeah. So, uh, but, uh, 
Back to Bang Tango, though. So now you you know you join end up joining the band. Obviously, and you're not in the band anymore. Uh, but I assume you're still friends with those guys. Is there anything happening in that camp? I mean, I know they were going to do a tour. Obviously, that was cut short because of the coronavirus. Is there a, like maybe a new record with the original lineup in the works? Or uh, I, I can't speak for him, but I, I do love every single member of that band. I uh, oh man, I had a great time playing with them. You know, and it's it's amazing that I I ended up joining the band because. Uh, I, I finished the movie, and uh, everybody really, everybody liked it. Everybody in the band approved, even Joel Estay at one point. But then, you know, lately he's just been kind of looking back on it and, and saying that it was a lack of a lapse of judgment from his drinking days. But he should, you know, it, it would just kind of bum me out, you know, because he he really, really got it and really, really enjoyed it. It's a very, it's not a fluff piece movie, you know. It's sure. very brutally honest. And Absolutely. I streamed it once in Chicago. I'm sorry for going off on a tangent, but I streamed it once in Chicago with. Uh, the then current lineup there. This is right before I joined the band too. There was Joel Estay, Lance Eric, Timmy Russell, and Rowan, uh, Rowan Robertson, you know, in Chicago, big screening. First time Joel Estay ever sees the movie too. So I made sure to sit like near him so I could watch his reactions. And uh, as the movie's playing on the big screen uh, and Joe is on the screen talking, uh, saying, you know, things about other original band members and all that, Joel Estay's like, you know, Watching it, he stands up, points at the screen, and goes, "I didn't say that." As he's saying it, it <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. And then, uh, then afterwards, oh my god, the best was toward the end. I was like, "Oh god, Joe, Joe hates this movie so much. He's never going to talk to me again." And toward the end, he gets up, walks toward me, looks at me, goes, hey, "Can I can I swear on here?" Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, fuck okay, yeah. Okay, <laughs> okay, fuck yeah. So he he toward the end of the movie, it starts to get heated between him and Mark Knight. He yeah. gets up, had enough. He walks toward me and he goes, "Drew, what are you some kind of fucking asshole or something, man?" Then he storms out, and I start chasing after him like he's like my girlfriend oh, no. or something. I'm like, "Joe, wait, wait, you got to finish the movie." Then he gets to the to the exit and he turns around and goes, "Ha, ah, gotcha, asshole!" <laughs> <laughs> what an asshole! That is a shitty move. That's that's a, that's pretty funny actually. But man, I would have been. Yeah, that's hilarious. That's really funny. Oh, yeah. Um, so and yeah, after after the movie, he he took me aside and he said, "Drew, to, you know, I I really needed to see that. Sometimes the truth hurts, and I really appreciate you hmm. doing this so I could actually see if my." career from a different point of view so yeah that evening he, he got it but since then he just kind of he's, he's a bit self-conscious i think about it uh, because he doesn't drink anymore and that he was drinking at the time he was being made so that's totally understandable but yeah I'm, never, I'm really proud of it then i ended up joining the band and that's a whole other story sure sure myself, but yeah you want to go there <laughs> what is that Did you hear that crunching noise is that you what is it i mean like a crunching where's your mic oh uh I got it right here. Okay. All right. Yeah, I don't know. I was just trying to figure out what that was. It was driving me nuts. So um, anyway, so yeah, so you were in Bang Tango, and then you were the guitarist for uh, Chuck Mosley, who was the former singer oh, yeah, of Faith Chuck. No More, and you were, you were his guitarist, and now you're actually making a documentary about him, and that's not out yet. That's coming out in 2021, right? That, that's probably going to come out in like 2024, to be honest with you. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I haven't talked about it much, but uh, we have, man... Uh, a lot of people are still grieving over Chuck. You know, he was, uh, it, it, it's, it was such an unfortunate situation. I mean, the, the way he, he passed away and all that and everything. Loved him very much. And uh, his family's still kind of on the fence about being involved and all that and everything. And uh, I've been in touch with the Faith No More guys. And they're, they're into being involved, you know, but it's still, you know, I think some more time needs to pass, you know, because he left a lot of people... Uh, 
in very awkward situations uh, mm-hmm. personally and uh, professionally and all that and everything. But, uh, but I, I think it, it'll see the light of day one day. I've, I've got, to be honest with you, I've got one interview so far, and it's an amazing interview. It's with Matt Wallace, their, their producer. And he did the, the interview right after uh, Chuck passed, actually. It was a very, very emotional interview. And it's, 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 I could probably release it by itself, and it'll, it'll probably count as a movie. It's, it's a great interview. But, uh, yeah, I, I love Chuck very much. We really was very fortunate to play with him and get to know him and, and all that. And he, he, he's a, such a great dude. Yeah, so you, you got that project, and then you, you wrote a book. I have not read your book yet, but it's called uh, Dark, Depressing, and Hilarious. Is that mostly oh, about yeah. your time with Bang Tango or also with Chuck Mosley? Or Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, uh, I, actually, I, I wrote the book as almost as like a goof because I was like everybody was coming out with these autobiographies, and I was like, let's see if I could do one, you know? And I ended up writing it in three days. <laughs> and so, uh, How the hell do you have the energy to do you to make books? See, I, I mean, I look at a guy like you and see, this is a funny part. So I'm looking at all the stuff you're doing. I'm like, oh, he wrote a book. He made a movie. He plays in a band. He's got, he's got another book coming out. He's, he's got another music project. I look at all the stuff you do. And I'm like, oh, he must have like some sort of trust fund or his wife works. And you have a day job too. How the Absolutely. hell do you do all this stuff? It's funny. I, I wrote the book at the day job. <laughs> and, uh, okay. And it, uh, but, but yeah, I got a regular like nine to five day job, Monday to Friday. I, I refurbish computers uh, okay. for, for a living and I love it. So and, you're able um, to write books while you, while you do that. <laughs> yeah. At that, that was at a previous job actually. Okay. That, that job sucked. I was like, yeah, screw these guys. I'm going to write a book. But uh, the job I'm at now though, I absolutely love it's uh, it's called cascade asset management and it's a, uh, it, it's a wonderful place. Very small kind of company it's it's, it's amazing but yeah. uh but yeah so the book just kind of just fell out of me and i was and it's, it's got a very fun kind of self-deprecating sense of humor about it it's okay like, me of all people writing an autobiography i have no business doing that but uh, people seem to get a kick out of it though like it's like they get it they get the whole angle of it you know sure I for mean, sure I, I, I never really i never really took myself too seriously doing this stuff because like uh, <laughs> you know i mean it's but I, and the book was actually a way for me to like saying like okay I'm done with this stuff, did the bang tango thing, played with Chuck and all that. Let's just walk away. And then you know here I am two years later with another movie, another book, and uh, another album. Yeah, you got a lot of projects going. You know this is interesting too. You were in, you were doing a movie, uh, which I forget which one it was, uh, but on the set of the movie, and I, I saw the clip. It's on YouTube. You proposed to your wife. And it's such an odd clip because you're talking to you're talking to your buddy about jerk. That's what it was. Yeah, it was the 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 crystal one. And you're talking to your buddy about like jerking off or something. And then all of a sudden you turn to your now wife and you propose to her. And she must have thought oh, yeah. like, is this like some sort of ad? Or did she know that it was real right away? Oh, uh, oh man. Well, that was uh, it was while we were shooting a scene. And the thing, uh, the director became a good friend of mine leading up to me being in the movie. And I orchestrated the whole thing for him to to hire my. Uh, girlfriend at the time to uh, be uh, like a featured extra that interacts with my character okay. in the movie. And so the, the first day of shooting at the, the end of the day, it's like 4.30 in the morning. All she had to do was sit there, turn around and react to my character talking about that. It was like, uh, you know, do, do you even jerk off or something like that? It's something my character says to, to, yeah. the, 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 other character. to the other guy. And uh, mm-hmm. end of the plan was once you turn around to do it for the last take for me to pop the question. And she had, she was totally caught off guard because they were I all bet. tired and just miserable. And, and it was, it was great. It's the clips up on YouTube. Actually. Right. Yeah. I saw it. Uh, That's crazy. Oh, yeah, it, was, it was awesome. And, uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, the movie, 
I'd say check it out. It's uh, it's the most romantic necrophilia love story you'll ever see. <laughs> How do you you can watch it on Amazon Prime or? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Amazon Prime. You could you could uh, order the Blu-ray from DiabolicDVD.com. Uh, you could order the Blu-ray for Blu-ray from the director uh, uh, directly as well. And okay. It's, uh, it's, it's a, it's a cool movie. The first like hour and a half is like a regular movie, then it goes straight to hell. Hi, hey, David. David. What's up, buddy? Welcome Brothers. to the show. Horror Brothers. How are you? Yeah. So yes. we're just he was telling us a story about him proposing to his wife on a movie set. I'm sure you know that story. I do. Is it a horror movie? I yeah. 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 Her, her name is Krista. And uh, yeah, I just totally caught her off guard at like the end of the day of shooting 430 in the morning. We're all miserable and tired and, and then scary marriage indeed. Yeah. So oh, absolutely. So tell me the story how you two met, because I think it was a 2016 <clears throat> Rocklahoma. Now, aren't a lot of the bigger bands like Megadeth, aren't a lot of a lot of times they're sequestered from the smaller opening bands. So how did how did you guys get how did you Drew, how did you get access to, to David, I guess is my question. I snuck in? No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> the, actually, uh, actually, believe it or not, Bang Tango was one of the big bands that day. We opened up the main stage. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and so, so, it was, so we were all in the same backstage area. So it was Bang Tango, Pop Evil, 6 a.m., Megadeth, this Disturbed, and Rob Zombie. Our trailer, the Bang Tango trailer, is right next to Disturbed's trailer. And I remember uh, I was just kind of hanging out you know, in front of our trailer and just like, I have no business being here. Oh, man. And then uh, I saw Dave coming out. I was like, oh, I always hear how nice of a guy he is. And I've always been a huge Megadeth fan. So I went up and said, hey, and uh, then just hit it off. And at that time, I was talking to Tom Hazard, his business partner. And uh, and so there's a cool connection there, too. And so from there, we just kind of kept in touch. And, okay. Uh, did a lot, did some work for the label for like video <clears> stuff and everything. And uh, hit the road with Tom Hazard a lot, uh, promoting the label and uh, and all that. And Very cool. Unfolded from there. Yeah, so I and I know you guys have a lot of projects. You have a book and an album coming out. I want to get to that, but if we could just go back in time a little bit, um, I'm a, obviously I'm a huge Megadeth fan, as probably every kid that grew up in the '90s was. And so I have a few Megadeth questions. If we could go that route for a little bit, and then we'll get back to the new stuff that you guys are working on. Cool. Yeah. Is that okay? So yeah. So I'm just curious, like, um, Dave, David, you moved to LA. And your, your, was your mission to go there to be like a rock star? Cause you came from Minnesota and you just happened to live at the same apartment complex as Dave Mustaine. Yeah. A hundred percent on both questions. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, and again, but Dave, you know, Metallica was not a kill them all was not recorded. In fact, they were, I met Dave about six weeks after he was let go out of Metallica and um, he had moved uh, to this apartment there on Sycamore Avenue in Hollywood. And that was the address that I had would move to. In fact, I was thinking about, you know, it, it, until I could get sort of landed and plugged in and, and kind of learn LA, I was think I was considering going to musicians Institute, um, the base Institute of technology. So, um, a, they'd sent like a list of apartments, you know, to kind of choose from in the area. So back when I was still living in Minnesota, I, I picked that one on, on Sycamore. And as it turns out, there was a woman who managed the apartment. She was from a little town called Mountain Lake, Minnesota, about 30 minutes from where I grew up. So, you know, it kind of made the hometown connection. Okay, we kind of know someone from Minnesota. Maybe we can trust her. <laughs> you know, okay. And, um, you know, so and it's funny because I've read the Ellison family history. In fact, I've amended it. It was actually sort of a, um, a download that we offered as the VIP uh, pre-sale purchases on the book that Tom and I wrote last year called More Life with Death. And as I read through it, you know, over the years, 
you know, most of the Ellisons went to California at some point. Um, you know, we huh. came over from Norway to Minnesota. It's where they landed in the 1800s. The farm that's still in our family was was founded there. And, and many of the aunts, uncles, even my dad, all made some journey and or lived in California at some point in time during the 20th century. So um, I never quite got My dad, he really wanted me to go out there. He liked it. He was not a musician. He didn't get the music business, but he saw that I was serious about what I did. And, um, you know, he, he let me follow my path and, you know, he supported me in doing that. And yeah, so I move in, I meet Dave, uh, lives upstairs. Um, and I could tell right away, Dave was definitely meant to be a rock star. You know, just the way he carried himself and his very ballsy attitude, you know, basically willing to fight anyone at any time <laughs> over, you know, if you stood in the way of his, of his path of what he wanted to do. That's awesome. Um, and I, and I'm lucky because, you know, I was not that guy. I was very much, again, a mild man huh. guy from Minnesota and we were taught very differently <laughs> where I grew up. Uh, you know, the, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all, that kind of thing. Well, Dave showed me a very different path in rock and roll, you know, that rock and roll, uh, it was, you know, with real rock stars, you know, with, uh, whether you're Lemmy, Nikki six, Gene Simmons, Axl Rose, Dave Mustaine, you know, there's this is a different era, you know, a different time when, when, um, you know, when, when, you know, you said a lot with and through your music and, and, uh, Dave had a very different life than me growing up. And, and so it was kind of interesting, the yin to the yang of, uh, two guys named Dave who would meet at an apartment on, sycamore and hollywood and start this band called megadeth and yeah our dif our differences brought about how special the thing really was you know yeah that, that we didn't have to be the same it was our differences that 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 created the interest still to this day the fans love this this kind of absolutely dynamic between the two of us right so in those early days i know megadeth would go go through a lot of lineup changes but even uh before the first album you guys auditioned uh like 15 drummers and you spent six months looking for a singer before you settled on having Dave Mustaine just be the singer. It kind of reminds me, I don't know if you're a Seinfeld fan, but like on the show Seinfeld, he's always dating all these different girls. And then later in the season, he decides that he finally meets the girl, the girl he's been looking for. He's in love with himself. And so, you know, it's kind of like Dave Mustaine. He's like, it's me. I've been what I've been looking for. But, but for those six months, was there any uh, names that uh, that would stand out that would go on to of those drummers or singers that you guys auditioned that would go on to other bands that were that well, we know? No, not really. And and is, I love your Seinfeld analogy, and I'm a big Seinfeld fan. Yes. And actually, it was not Dave's idea to be the singer. It was actually my idea. Okay. Um, and, and interesting. It, it's funny how it. Well, it's funny how it happened because. So we did, we did originally have a drummer named Dijon Carruthers, and um, he was our drummer. Uh, as I met Dave, he had a, had a singer named Laura Kane um, that he was working with. You know, Dave was writing everything, and, and um, he had another kid he was kind of trying to teach how to play the bass, this guy named Matt Kisselstein. But that, he was, the intention was this band would be called Fallen Angel. And so when me and my Minnesota brood showed up, me and my friend Greg Hanovitz and my buddy uh, Brad Schmidt and his friend Brent, uh, they lived in an apartment right next door to Dave. Me and Greg lived in the apartment right underneath of Dave. And uh, in fact, it's funny. I remember in reading More Life With Death, Brad, I, I had Brad chime in on the book and he reminded me that like Dave's BC Rich that he had from Metallica was actually out at BC Rich getting some work done on it. So he didn't have a guitar. So he was borrowing his roommate. Tracy had, a, I think, a Gibson, an Epiphone or something that he would write stuff on. 
And I, he would actually ask Brad next door if he could borrow his Gibson Explorer from time to time to uh, to write. So Dave didn't even have a guitar, you know. He was, huh. I mean, Dave, you're not from Metallica. I mean, he was really, really kind of down to nothing rebuilding. And and But there was a, you know, again, we, we rallied around Dave, you know. There, obviously, there was something very special there, you know. And, and the first lyric he had was a song called Megadeth, um, which later got retitled to Set the World Afire. <clears throat> and... Um, you know, day, you know, Greg and I, we were in bands together going up in the Midwest. I mean, we we've known each other since like fifth grade or something. Uh, and we were always in bands together. So, you know, Greg, he said, he goes, he goes, dude, we got to, after we met Dave that first night, he goes, dude, we got to, we got to play with that guy. That guy's awesome. And I said, yeah, I know. And so Greg started playing with him first, kind of as the second guitar player. And then once Greg was in there, he goes, he told Dave, he goes, dude, you got to ditch Matt, the bass, get Ellison in here. Like he's a real bass player and, you know, he knows what he's doing. And so I, we sat around and jammed a little bit one day and Dave's like, yeah, okay. He's, he's a good player. And you know, I think the main thing with Dave is, is being willing to do what Dave wants you to do. I mean, that really is the marching orders in, and I got that right away. I mm. saw very clearly and Dave clearly had a path. He had a sound. Obviously he had success with this yet to be known band Metallica. Of course, you know, people knew of them. Uh, they were, they had a record. They had just signed their deal with Megaforce and were cutting kill them all at that time. But, um, you know, they weren't the big sensation we know them to be now, but they definitely, everybody loved them and they were cool. And Dave was playing me the No Life to Leather demo and I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, and uh, um, so it it's, you know, so I got it. I mean, I, I got that, you know, I signed on to the vision right away from the beginning. And I guess that's probably the reason I'm here all these years later is, is uh, I was willing to put in the work. I was willing to put in the time, suit up, show up, dress up speak up, you know, and, and just get on board with it, you know? So it's, it's, it's been that journey. Um, yeah. Because how did you stick with him through all those times when there was all these lineup changes in the eighties and nineties? Uh, I mean, you stuck with him for so why he never tried to fire you or do you just knew how no, to? No, no, I don't, you know, no. I mean, like we certainly had some disagreements, you know, and, and, but we never came to, to blows. Okay. Um, you know, that happens in some bands that usually that's the end, uh, you know, but we never did. Um, and I'm sure there's times he wanted to punch me, you know, things <laughs> in there, you know, but I was like, you know, I was like, you know, cause you know, again, we're not only were we forming this band, we were basically growing. I was 18. He was 21. We were growing up together. So in a lot of ways he was an older brother. And of course he had street smarts. He knew the ins and outs of LA. <clears throat> um, and yet my sort of softer disposition often, kind of brought common sense and, and reasonableness to Dave at times, you know what I mean? So we, we both brought mm -hmm. something to the table, but again, this was going to def, this was definitely Dave's vision. And again, I, I knew like, get on board with this, like, don't fight this. You can offer your, you know, your input on it, but um, you know, follow the, the narrative, if you will, you know, and, um, and, you know, and I think that's the main thing is, is, is that's what it's like in Megadeth. Period. Mm -hmm. And, and if, and I think the people that either, I never used it as a stepping stone for a solo career, any of that kind of crap. And there were some people over the years that have done that and they're no longer here. Um, and I very much believed in what we were creating. I, you know, to me, a band is a gang, it's your family, it's your tribe. It's, it's, it's who you are as a, as an, as a person, it's, it's your home base. You know, I left my family of origin back in Minnesota to start a new family out in LA and that became Megadeth. And, um, you know, you have each other's backs financially, creatively, you know, 
as you're dating chicks, getting screwed over by chicks, uh, you know, <laughs> signing leases, breaking leases, yeah. getting thrown out of apartments, getting on drugs, getting strung out on drugs, going to rehab, getting clean. I mean, everything that goes with it. I mean, we, you know, Dave and I grew up together, you know, I mean, we really did. And now here we are all these years later, you know, we've, we've, we've grown up together. We've gone through the good times, a bunch of bad times. We've raised our families around each other, you know, so there's, there's a lot to the story. It Absolutely. Is Two no. dudes in a band who play some songs. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's interesting doing the research. I, I didn't realize uh, Dimebag Daryl almost joined Megadeth and Slash at the, at the peak of Guns N' Roses career. I, you know, this yeah. is just recent that I'm hearing learning about this, yeah, but yeah. he was jamming with you guys and he was a big fan of Megadeth and he was, you guys are smoking crack because it sounds like a cracked out idea that he was going to leave Guns N' Roses. Not that Megadeth isn't amazing too, but yeah, he was no, actually considering leaving that band for Megadeth. I mean, as a friend of Slash, I would never let him leave Guns N' Roses. And in fact, I think we even talked about that. It's like, there's no fucking way you're leaving Guns N' Roses. <laughs> yeah. What's well, funny, they had just come home from um, Australia and uh, so it was late 88. Dave, we were off the road from the So Far So Good Sweat tour. We were writing um, the new material that would become Rust in Peace. Uh, Jeff Young was uh, asked to leave the band. So we were down to me, Dave, and Chuck Beeler. <clears throat> and yeah, I mean, look, the, con the discussion started about guitar players. I told Dave I had just hung out with the guys in Pantera. And we knew of, of it wasn't called Dimebag that he was called Diamond Daryl. Um, oh, right. He was in, he was in a lot of the guitar magazines. He was definitely heralded as a, as a rising star. So we reached over to him, but he said, he goes like, with me comes my brother Vinny. And of course we didn't need a drummer. Um, and you know, thank God it didn't happen because the world got Pantera. Yeah. Know, they, amazing. The generation behind Megadeth and Metallica and the big four was, was the Pantera movement. And we reached out to Jeff Waters of Annihilator. Jeff, you know, Annihilator was really starting to blow up pretty big. And, and now Jeff and I are dear friends and we, we have many, chats and fun laughs about hey what what that would have been like you know what yeah. I mean? but a lot of my friends i tell them i say look i love you dude and you're a great musician but you wouldn't last in megadeth for more than one <laughs> chorus of symphony <laughs> of destruction trust me you know and especially even as the recent drummer thing went around a couple years ago i was like look dude you're a great drummer you know you know you're you're not meant to be in this band you know yeah because i just know my friends and i know how the dynamic is you know and and like i say friends don't let friends join megadeth you know <laughs> it's just not you know it's it's you because you've really got you've really got to put the professional um uh foot forward you know and like like kiko i did not know kiko i had just played with him um in, in november of uh, 2014 by January of 2015, it was just back down to me and Dave again, rebuilding the band, new management. And he, Dave called me one day and said, man, I saw this guy Kiko online. He, I think he'd be a good fit. I said, hey, I know him. I just jammed with him. I literally just got his phone number and his email. So I hit him and I said, hey, guess what? Your number's up. You want to join Megadeth, you know? And, you know, and, and so that's how things happen usually. You know, usually you're sort of chosen. You know, it's, it's never like, Hey, can I put my name in the hat? Mm. That's not usually how these gigs happen. Okay. You know, Metal Allegiance, We would do that too. We would, you know, me and Mengi and Portnoy and Skolnick, we would choose the people that we felt were right for it. It was never sort of blind submissions as famous as our friends are. Hey man, can I sing on your record to be like, eh, I don't know that I don't know if there's the right place for you. You know what I mean? So, you know, usually when you're creating it, 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 it usually the call comes from this way out that way. And, um, you know, same with Dirk, Dirk Verbeer and Chris Adler had 
had recommended him uh, when a transition needed to happen. And, and we did not know Dirk. So bringing Dirk in, there was no, again, there was no kind of past friendship. It was a brand new relationship mm. starting with, first of all, you got to be fucking badass and nail the gig. And if you can nail the gig, then we'll see if we can hang. And if we can hang, Hey, then you can, then you can be a full-time member of the band. You know, yeah. so there's kind of a process for sure. Jason Newstead talked about that when he joined Metallica, you know, you got the gig and they kind of, sort of hazed him for a year right yeah <laughs> hey let's let you're 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 like sort of in the trial phase for a while to make sure we can hang with you because that's the other part of being in a band is you know can we hang with you on the road or you know are you going to be that guy where your your socks stink and your breath smells and you know you leave your freaking pizza on the couch of the bus every night like yeah now how does that work with hanging with a band now because you're 30 years sober congratulations on that but like yeah, um how does that work um you know, like if you're hanging uh, with Drew or Vinny with your new band, um, would you, do you require them to not have booze around you or? Look, I'm the alcoholic. I'm the one that reacts strangely to alcohol and cocaine and heroin and drugs. Right. So it's me. I, when it's when it goes in my body that the problem happens in my life. So if you want to put it in your body, rock on by all means, but that doesn't tempt you if it's backstage or anything or. It's it's not a temptation. I mean, look, I I take the daily measures needed to make sure that I you know am in spiritually fit and mentally and physically fit to not have that you know come into my body anymore. You mm-hmm. know? Um, look, we're in the entertainment business. Anybody who's in the entertainment business, you could be a freaking lawyer, a plumber, or a you know roofing houses. There's going to be booze around, you know. What yeah. I mean? So. It, it's about being your your own mental defense has to be there. You know, it's funny because, you know, every, everything that will kill you is literally within an arm's reach of, of you by your own hand. Right? Mm-hmm. Like no one ever dumped booze and heroin in me. I right. Did. That's you know true. I mean? By my own hand. So yeah. it, it's, it, it, it's never you that got me loaded. It was me that got me loaded. So okay. I, I think coming to understand that is like, okay, my, my addiction is not conditional. It's not, uh, or it's not sort of outwardly conditional. It's inwardly conditional. So make sure the inner, the inner self is right. And, and, you know, again, for three decades, I've been, that problem seems to have been removed from me. That's awesome. I had a question. I always wondered this, like, um, in 92, when you guys did countdown to extinction, um, uh, such a great album, probably the most, the one that sold the one most of my favorites too. By Absolutely. The way. Yeah. I think a lot of people's, but was there a conscious decision to dump, uh, the mascot Vic for the cover? I know he was on the back, uh, with the countdown thing, but, um, you know, what, what was the theory behind that? Were you trying to trying to do a different kind of look for the band there, at that there point? Was, there was, you know, again, that was a major intentional step into the mainstream. Now, again, the mainstream was heavy metal, uh, mm-hmm. was now in the mainstream and very popular. Of course, you know, headbangers ball, Talica was blown up Queens, Reich. I mean, you know, there, there, it was our moment for sure, you know, to step into that spotlight. Um, and we didn't want to get rid of Vic at all because he was the mascot, but we also, we hired Hugh Syme, uh, out of Canada to do the artwork for that record and also for, uh, euthanasia. And so he presented an idea, um, of the levitating old man and the, you know, in the jail cell and everything. So he presented that idea. We didn't go to him and say, Hey, we need you to incorporate our, our mascot, um, into this, at least not that I remember. So that's why I think on the back, we talked about Vic with the abacus doing the count. Yeah. The abacus. Yeah. That was cool. So there was a, a, a narrative there with Vic, but it, it wasn't going to be the, the, the presence on the cover. 
And, you know, with, with the Rust in Peace campaign, we did a, not only the cover of that, but we did the Hangar 18 stuff. We did um, the, the nuclear Vic. We had all these yeah. pretty, pretty powerful graphic images, you know. So Absolutely. Thought, okay, rather than just try to keep one-upping that, let's turn a corner and try something a little bit different. Yeah. And then the euthanasia album, another great album. So many good, I could spend an entire episode on each one of these albums, but I just try to get one question on some of them, but the song, the killing road is that's one of my favorite Megadeth songs is, was there ever talk of releasing that as a single or trying to license it for movie or TV shows? I feel like it'd be great for like a movie or so or a TV show. Yeah, if you know, look, you're probably right. I mean, it's funny because now, I mean, look at the iPhone commercial this last year, last year, you know, they use, you know, last rights, love to death off so, you know, track one album one, you know, so who knew that? So obviously somebody inside of Apple was a fan of that one. Um, That's awesome. So, you know, who knows these, uh, you know, these, these people that, that do, you know, the musical direction for, for these productions. I mean, who knows if there's a fan in there, Hey, maybe it'll be you one day you'll get a gig working for a, Sony picture and you'll be, <sighs> Hey, I want to put killing room. Oh, I would definitely <laughs> put Megadeth songs in a lot of different things. So <laughs> exactly. awesome. It so was yeah. never, I don't think it was ever talked about as a single. We did play it. And in fact, it, we, we've have played it even more recently. Oh, good. Um, yeah. Added in the set. Um, when we've kind of reached for a deep cut, it's a fun song to play. It's cool. Um, the riff is fun. You know? Yeah. So, well, sorry. I, I want to go through each album, but we don't have time. So I'll just move forward in 2002. You, you left Megadeth or Megadeth disbanded, whatever, however you want to say it. You went and worked for PV Amps. And so what is it? Talk about the transition of going from pl- playing in a metal band to yeah. working in the corporate world. I didn't even know until I did the research that you left Megadeth for like eight or nine years or whatever. Well, Dave called up. There was a situation that was kind of transpiring in 2001 and, and saw it kind of coming. And Dave, Dave called me up one day in February of 2002 and said, Hey, I, I quit Megadeth. And, um, you know, which essentially means the band is over, you know, and we didn't dissolve our business interest for a couple of years later, but, um, you know, which is what the legal stuff was around. Mm. Um, and, but it, um, yeah, it's that moment where you go like, you know, you're kind of looking around going, wow, this is really big. It's cool. It's working well. And it's, of course, for me, it'd been almost 20 years of my life. <clears throat> and then one day that's it. It's over. And, um, Followed by, oh, shit, how am I going to raise my family? How am I going to pay my mortgage? You know, all, all the, the realities that come with that. Um, and I think on one point, we we needed the break. You know, we'd been pushing and pushing. We'd gone through so many transitions, band members, managers, people in our ear about, you know, if you just change the logo, then you won't be so metal. And if you just mm. change your songs, then the radio will accept you. You know, so all these huh. different things. You know, and every, every great artist has gone through that, whether you're Kiss or Peter Frampton or Judas Priest, or I don't care who you are, you've gone through that, those transitions. And, and part of it is because of the things outside of you and the culture outside of you is also changing. You know, not, not only are you sort of changing as you grow up, but, you know, Seattle music, new metal, you know, FM, you know, the, the disturbed Godsmack kind of FM heavy metal guys were coming onto the scene. There was, there was a lot of changes going down, you know? So how do you sort of stay competitive? How do you stay in that realm yet? You know, you change too much. And then your fans who actually made you who you are now they're pissed and they hate you. You yeah. know what I mean? So yeah. there's, kind of this, there's all these different little calculated decisions you have to make when you're sort of, you know, running your, your band, the creative, the business, all that. So on one hand, it was, it was kind of a breath of fresh air. Um, I never felt like my time in Megadeth was done. I always kind of felt like it was 
a little bit of just maybe a little internal brawl between us and, you know, it would come around and, and it did of course in 2010. Um, but in those eight years, um, and Megadeth only worked, I think maybe five of those years. I think Dave started in 2004 and put out um, a record in 2005. So we put out three records in that time um, that I didn't perform on. But during that time, you know, I, I did, I called everybody. I was like, I, you know, it's called uh, Monty Connor over it, or we got connected at Roadrunner Records. I talked to the people at Fender, actually the people at Fender here reached out to me um, about a, a, a position there. And I, I called a friend of mine who used to work uh, for St. Louis Music, who had uh, Ampeg, Crate, and Alvarez brands. And um, he had hired Ken Hensley, uh, God rest his soul, he just passed away. He had hired Ken Hensley from Uriah Heep, who was a very famous uh, musician, and, a, and that band did very well. Um, he hired Ken to run his artist relations for Ampeg back in the uh, 80s and 90s. So I said, Tony, I, uh, you're not going to believe it, but Megadeth is over. Everybody, everybody's like, what? The hell happened? You know, I was like, well, you know, it's that, that moment. So he, he said, he goes, listen, I got something I'm doing with Petey. I'm, I'm, I'm consulting with them on some stuff, and I might actually have an artist relations position for you, kind of like I did with Hensley. I said, dude, I'd, I'd be great. And I was actually using PV products. I was using PV base amps and stuff. And um, so that's how that happened. And, hmm. and I, I watched Ken Hensley. I watched how he had done it with Ampeg. And he was my role model, quite honestly. And um, so I, I just got in the trenches and, and um, you know, changed my shirt that said Megadeth to the one that said PV. And, you know, and I just I got on board with it. And I went to college. I got my business degree, which I always wanted to do. Um, and I, and I, I just, you know, I, I changed some gears in my life, but what's funny is a, is a little band called F5 developed around me. And that to me was, uh, clear evidence that my playing days were not over. Gotcha. Bass player. Right. Recording artist. That, that was not done that this, that this thing with PV is, is great. It's cool, but it's, it's a, it's a season. You know? Sure, and I did. I did it for seven years. I ran yeah. the whole global artist relations. I think we did a lot of great stuff. Great artists, you know, brought people like Kid Rock's band and Slipknot, and Nickelback, and you know, big the big players at that time. Absolutely, um, yeah. And it was kind of cool because they were all big Megadeth fans, you know. So of I got course, to work with them, even big Christian artists. I got to see man, Megadeth really impacted a lot more people than I guess I probably had realized, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was it was a lot of fun. I learned a lot. I learned a lot about just kind of servanthood, you know, we're in a business where we stand in the spotlight and everybody mm. anders to us. Right. And on the other side of it, I learned, this is probably where being from Minnesota helped was, Hey, you know, uh, this is about serving them, you know, and I got to, you know, uh, be able to help them and, and oftentimes even offer some of my own experience and suggestions about, you know, the path to and in rock stardom and, um, so yeah, it was, it was great. I, I really appreciated that. I learned a lot about business and manufacturing and it's funny. It was right at a time, 2002, when I started working at PV is right as everything was moving to China, you know, oh, so it was, I, I got to watch that whole China syndrome, all the shit that we're bitching about now about yeah. how we don't make anything in America. I was there at the downbeat of when it was happening and the music industry is a microcosm of, you know, again, you know, automotive and Boeing and, sure. and that level of stuff. But you know, Peavy's a big player, was a big player in that day. So I got to watch, you know, Hartley Peavy, oh my gosh, you know, I have such respect for him. And here's his company he had built by himself in, in Mississippi, this big 
monolith organization and, and just watching it just fragments away because things he had in order to stay competitive, he had to move stuff to China and, and it just, it changed how our, how our biz, how, you know, instruments are, are made now. Most of them are made overseas, a lot of them. And, and um, so it was a really interesting time. Eddie Van Halen, of course, was at, at PB at that time. And the first trade show I worked at NAM, Eddie, I met oh. Eddie at that time. And, and um, so, yeah, it was very cool. It was a yeah. lot of, made a lot of, yeah. So you had that years. kind of break and then you guys get back together. You made some more albums. You, you won a Grammy. That's pretty exciting. And then now yeah. I hear that you are uh, working on a new Megadeth album. Um, right. Can you tell us anything about the album, when it's coming out, a song title, a lyric, a theme, an artwork, special guests, anything? Give me something. No. <laughs> I can't. There's nothing I can tell you. It's all it's secret. Done. It's locked it's down, done. huh? Well, it's not even that it's a secret. It's not done yet. So okay. I can't tell you, you know, like when something's done is when it's best to talk about it. Okay. Then you're talking about evidence, hard facts, as opposed to, well, I think it might. Yeah. You know? Fair enough. So well, let's, yeah. let's move into the, since I know we're getting short on time, let's talk about the yeah. projects that you do have done. Cause you got the two of you have uh, a few different things going on. So the first thing is the book. Rockstar yeah. Hitman, which it's a, it's an interesting uh, idea. It's about these right here. There we go. Me, so yeah, there it, you go. Yeah. It's about spies traveling the world in a rock band who are also hitmen, right? This, and it's called the character's yeah. name is Sledge. The Sledge yeah, Chronicles. The, Sledge is the character actually, actually Drew came, came up with that. It's funny. The, the, the idea came to me when I was on tour last year in November, like literally a year ago in South America, I was in Brazil. And the idea came to me. I, I hit Drew right away. I thought I, I need an accomplice on this one. Um, and, and so we started lining out the characters and getting the story. And I, I think probably it's interesting because I've written several books, non nonfiction, how to books, memoirs and stuff. And I think probably the, a couple of things with this <clears throat> writing fiction and I always wanted to write fiction. I'm a fan of it. And, and, and I know Drew is a, a horror and thriller kind of writer. So I knew he'd be good to pull in, you know, to be a partner on this, but I think a couple of things, one, um, as you develop a character, you ask yourself, is this character going to be here just for a moment or are they going to be in this for a long time? Uh, and knowing that this is going to be a book series, that there's going to be several in a series, it's like, does the character stay in the series? Do they re do they disappear for a bit and appear back later? Hmm. So I think those are some of the fun things me and Drew get to, to work on because it's kind of like an album. Uh, usually you make the album and it's done unless it's a concept album, you know, you know, Pink Floyd, the wall part two, uh, you know, you kind of create it and it's done and you move on. Well, with the book and especially with this particular one, we intentionally set out to make it a series. That's why it's called the Sledge Chronicles. Sure. Because it's chronicling his journey as he goes through this rock star lifestyle. And Drew and I both, you know, being in bands and, and having experienced, you know, the rock star lifestyle, we can write a little bit from our own, you know, personal um, history, yet it, it's clearly fictional. And I think the other thing about it, too, is, is sort of the point of view that we wrote it from, because um, most books are usually written sort of by a third person and then the characters weigh in in quotations, you know, mm -hmm. and then Sledge said, come over here, Sally, da -da, you know, end of quote, you know, what we decided to do with this was to write it actually from Sledge's perspective, like it's him talking. So it's almost like him writing his own memoir. Oh. his own autobiographical memoir. And, and that really opened up a, a different, some very clever angles that I've not seen quite honestly in, in a lot of other books. Do you think that you would try to make it into a movie at some point? 
Well, we could. Drew, Drew's the filmmaker. So, I mean, he, we, you know, we, we didn't talk about that. We said, you know, anything yeah. that we write, you know, we started the Ellison Book Company. Okay. Um, and as a way, kind of like we started Ellison Films to put out Dwellers and then anything else right. that comes after that. You know, we started the Ellison Book Company because we also have some some memoirs. I think the Chris Poland memoir we're going to put out through that. And uh, and I, actually quite a handful of our rock star buddies are now hitting us up to uh, oh. you know to have an outlet to put these books out. So we're going to do that um, as well. But you know, but, but to also be able to put out fictional and all kinds of different stuff. It doesn't even have to be music related stuff. Um, and by having the book company, obviously would feed very easily over into the film company. And yeah. of course, EMP record label, we can do soundtracks and do all kinds. Of Perfect. Stuff. Yeah. And so the other, mo- the movie you have coming out is called dwellers and it's like a found footage horror movie. And, uh, you guys are, uh, you guys direct produ- or drew directs, edits, writes stars in it. And you're doing a lot of those things as well. Yeah, that's, oh, yeah. Kind of, that's Drew's thing. Yeah, we're at Mad Monster Convention in uh, February 20th in Charlotte, North Carolina is where we're going to premiere the film. Okay. They've offered that for us. So, yeah, so it's 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 cool. Me and Tom Hazer make a couple little cameos in it, but yeah, yeah. that's Drew's baby, man. And gotcha. I loved it. I thought the idea of it was was very hip and cool. And uh, um, so that's, and then, that's, that's all Drew. Yeah, and then, the, and then the other thing you guys have is, together is uh, the band, Lucid, which I, ha- I just had Vinny on my show uh, last week from sponge, but it's also got the Mike Heller. Who's a drummer from yeah. fear factory. So I heard one song, but how would, how would you guys describe the music? Like, how would you describe it to people? Well, it's interesting. We, uh, in writing the book, um, this look, let's face it. 2020 was a year of, Hey, fuck it. Why not? Anything goes. You know I mean? <laughs> yeah. Hey, you want, want to write on a song? Sure. You want yeah. to play in a song? Sure. You know what I mean? I mean, it's why not? We're all yeah. sitting in home. You want to do the Chuck Shoe podcast? Sure. Why not? <laughs> I love well, it. Drew, you know, Drew sent me a track and said, Hey, can you throw a bass on here? And then quite honestly, I was writing a new Ellison solo record at the time. So my, you know, my studio ears were on, I was plugged in, ready to go. He sent it over, played on it. I was like, yeah, this is freaking cool, man. I, I, and I wasn't really, I've seen Drew play. I know of his bang tango history and the other stuff he's done, but this was really cool stuff that spoke to me. And, and then he called me up and he said, Hey, you know, uh, Vin's going to come in and, and lay and write some vocals, some lyrics and lay some tracks. And, and it turned into a thing. And then we thought, you know what, why not have like sort of a soundtrack to the book? And quite honestly, this this actually is a photo of Vinny. He was oh, perfect. his name and Nicholas likeness to Sledge. So he is, I mean, we've kind of, you know, tweaked it a little bit, you know, but <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah. So so Vin is part of the part of the book. We, maybe we should just call it the Vinny Chronicles. I don't know. Right. Chronicles. Okay. But, uh, and a couple, a couple of the songs tie into the book, too. They and, do. Uh, and, and he I, did an awesome job. Like, I'll hear these clever little ways that oh. Vinny, I mean, Vinny writes some. I love him. I mean, I love Sponge. Great. You know, he's such a rock star. He's just a cool guy. And he writes such great lyrics, very trippy lyrics. Um, he's a lyric. He's a type of lyricist I've never worked with before. So it's, it's fun with that. And, and Drew is a great guitar player. I mean, really a great <laughs> guitar player. Mike Keller, he's good friends with Dirk Verbieren. And Dirk's like, oh, dude, Mike's Mike's awesome. And they're, they're good friends. And so to work with Mike and, and just walk in and um, we all met in LA, the songs, we had the songs together. Um, we all met in LA mid July. I plugged in and banged out 10 songs in two days. And, and, uh, and it was fun. I was just like, Hey, produce me. Let me know. I got ideas. Let me know what you want. And Mike, Mike was very, very good in the studio, really knows his way around as he's, as these tracks have been coming together. They, 
it's 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 cool stuff and it's very different it's obviously not thrash metal uh hence the name lucid has this kind of i think feet kind of feels like what the music sounds like okay we got the one thrashy song remember the one you were like i don't want to do this one <laughs> yeah, i was like you guys are what are you guys writing shit from like injustice for all here what are you guys doing <laughs> <laughs> so one song like that okay I mean, we're all metal like heads. we have to yeah what but is anyway, that one called that- can you say it's kind of this stone temple piloty kind of grungy okay. thing a little bit, but it, but it's, it, I don't want people to just get it. That that's what it sounds like. Cause it, again, that, that, that song, that, that song's called, uh, I can, I'm able to say what it's called. Yeah, that, of course. That one, yeah, I don't care, uh, yeah. It's called damned. Okay. <laughs> now would you guys and, tour uh, for this band? What's that? Would you tour with this band or do any look, live I shows? Think, I think, look, once we all get out of quarantine, now, yeah. I hope, year i think we're just going to be running like wild rabbits just going and doing anything we can i mean a lot of 2021 of course is a reschedule of 2020 um look there'll be new megadeth stuff next year sponge is a new record coming out next year so um there's some traffic copying that needs to happen there to kind of you know you know have the flow but i think everybody's also pretty reasonable it's like look you know there's there's you know there's there's new music coming out i you know it's it's i always say it's kind of like quarantine records are kind of like super bowl babies you know nine months after the super bowl suddenly i mean i'm born in november maybe i'm a super bowl baby i don't know but it's like hmm. you know nine months after the super bowl you know they always say that there's this influx of births interesting you know, people are all holed up on the couch watching the super bowl and whatever else they're doing that's interesting <laughs> so I, I think i think 2021 is gonna be the same way with with music i mean i think it is for me for, for sure. sure i mean there's no cover record yeah. Drew, how do you, record, how do you do all these pro I was asking Drew about that earlier, how, and Drew's got a day job, but how can you guys yeah. give me some tips on work at, I think if I do like two or three podcasts a week, I feel like I've put in a full work week, but you guys are doing movies, books, coffee companies, bands. How do you, how do you do that? I don't understand. What's the secret. Got to find your zone. Got to find that mojo. Once you lock onto something and you start going for it, you just go for it hard and you just kind of, you know, got to find your right pace. And this kind of, you know, hit on something until to the point where you're not sick of it. And you can just keep on going with it. Sometimes you got to take a break and just go on to something else for a little bit. So I, that's why okay. I do so many things because I get bored with, well, not bored, but I get, you know, to a point with one thing. But like, okay, I need to step away and work on something else for a little bit. And then just kind of bounce back and forth. And that's, that's, that's always been my thing. You echo that, Dave? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, again, it's it's every day. I mean, me and Tom Hazer talk several times a day and we'll kind of, hey, let's do this. Hey, man, we about to do some covers. Hey, how about we do this? And then, you know, so there's always that with, you know, Drew and, and I, once I think we kind of started to find our creative uh, mojo together back in probably April or so when he sent me that first track. <clears throat> um, and again, this book was already well on its way. And and again, the book kind of got to a point, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I see these emails, and Drew will send me these chapters. I'm like, "Holy smokes, dude! You're like killing it here. This is awesome!" And then that inspires me to get back into the book. Um, mm. The music stuff kind of went up, and then it sort of disappeared for a bit. Next thing you know, it's like, "Hey, let's meet in July." And hey, the songs are pretty well lined out now, and it's like, "Wow, great!" So yeah, things go through seasons. You know, I think that's the thing with create mm. with creativity. You can't force it, but when it's there and it's and the floodgates are open, man, you got to go with it. I mean, honestly, look, I just got home from tour Monday morning uh, and I was a little shot out. I mean, we hit it pretty hard through the Midwest. And honestly, I was kind of thinking I'd come home and just sort of glide down into Thanksgiving. And I've been working harder this week than I was last week. You know what I mean? And, and it's 
but that's what it is. It's sort of like, you know, I, I've learned over the years, nothing feeds momentum like momentum. And when you've got momentum, you've got to go with it, man. You've just got to keep when the phones ring and because there, you, you go back to 2002 when Megadeth ended, dude, it got dark real quick, you know, and, mm. and I was calling people and I mean, the, my phone was ringing that way. You know, I was that oh. guy going, Hey, can I sing on this? Can I, or, you know, I'm not saying, but can I do this? And, wow. Get a real job. Like, so I've been there. I've been okay. there. It's crickets and scarecrows and the ravens out in the corner. So you like being busy. You like stay, like how I many do, hours I, a week I, do I, you work? That, would you say that's, that's because again, Megadeth from the minute I met Dave, I mean, it was, we're rocking. So for 20 years and then I just stopped and I was like, this sucks, man. I, I do not like, I'm, I'm way too motivated. And again, being of clear mind, I've, hmm. I've, I've, I'm, my mind's working. So to have things going, um, I've been used to doing this, you know, um, and okay. quite honestly, as fun as it was, and again, I had to be solely dedicated to Megadeth those first 20 years, you know, Absolutely. Had, there's, there's no option. You have to be united. But then there comes a point in life like now where it's fun to have a handful of other things as well as Megadeth because mm -hmm. Megadeth, you know, we've shut down now for a couple of years. We've done a little bit of stuff, but we've been working behind the scenes on an album and so, um, you know, got obviously COVID shut things down this year. So it's fun to have a bunch of other horses in the race, you know, and kind of get them, get them up to the starting line. So with, again, with when COVID happened, I was, I feel like I was prepared. It was kind of like, that's, that's cool. We're shutting down. No problem. Let's get to work on some other stuff, you know, and not freak out. Um, because I've learned never to put all my eggs in one basket and I haven't for the last 20 years and it's, it's paid off for me. Absolutely. And yeah, you have a new album out. People should check out Elfs, Elfs and uh, No Cover. It's all cover yeah. uh, songs. No Cover means like there's no cover to get into the, the bar. No yeah. cover to get in. Yeah, yeah exactly. it's perfect. Yeah. I love my it. Alter, my alter ego of Drew Fun Frontier performs yeah. on that. What, do they misspell your name well, or something? Yeah, well, there was a thing. There was a thing on Apple Music when it came out last Oops. week. Uh, yeah, we had to do a retype. Re well, it's funny because there's a <laughs> hidden track. Uh, it ends with uh, track 18. Uh, by Fastway, say what you will. But if you leave the CD and there's a bonus hidden track on there, oh. that uh, is actually Chips Enough, me and Drew, and Vin actually sings on. Right. In fact, maybe we'll even put that song, I think we're going to put that song on the Lucid record. Okay, perfect, yeah. Well, I know, <laughs> speaking of which, uh, yeah, we got the last of Lamert uh, mixing the Lucid album, and it, I think we, we may have him do a remix of uh, uh, of Down to the Lad too. And he's, he's yeah. less a, uh, is amazing. He's done like Ale Storm and the World Dane and Sanctuary and stuff. Okay, like cool. Well, so I know, the, I know you guys got to get going. So I do like to end yeah. each episode with a, a highlighting a charity. And so, uh, Dave, I know you work with the um, you have a youth youth music foundation um, where you you set up all these like online tutoring with all these rock stars helping kids, right? Yeah, yeah. David Ellison Youth Music Foundation. Our link is ellisonyouthmusicfoundation dot org. There's a little button up there to uh, to donate. I mean foundations, nonprofits are always doing some kind of fundraising stuff. Um, yeah, our initiative earlier this year was a school's out initiative where we did, uh, we gave free music lessons to students all around the world. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's my, that's my, my highlight and my charity, quite honestly. That was really a great way as, as things were shutting down in the world, it was great to have that platform there because um I called everybody up and I just said, Hey, listen, why don't we give some free mu music lessons to everybody? It'll get us out of our own head. It'll keep us out of fear and freaking out that the sky's falling and our lives are over, you know, as much as our tours are going away and stuff's going to change this year. Let, let's get into action, helping other people because that's a sure way to get you out of yourself. 
For sure. Do you ever get people reaching out to you like that are depressed or suicidal or going through a rough time? And do you look at those messages or, I mean, cause I'm assuming you get a lot of message. You can't go through every message on Instagram and Facebook and email. Yeah, I don't, I don't. Yeah. I have people that kind of handle the social media stuff and look over that, but yeah, I, and I hear about them, you know, and sometimes on live streams and people post, post little comments and stuff and I, I pick up on it, you know, and, and I know, look, some of it's alcoholism and addiction. So I know mm-hmm. I've been there. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes it's, um, you know, people growing their they're teenagers are going through that whole thing kind of misunderstood by parents and I, I get that that's what rock and roll largely is is hey this is my voice this is my tribe and um so i yeah i mean look i've i've lived all that myself you know so if yeah look anytime i can try to be helpful and even through the foundation we've done some stuff like that you know with uh with people that have depression um you know and it's 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 an interesting society we live in because in america there's sort of this mindset that if we if we have our basic needs met uh, we won't want any more, but we know in a capitalist society that once you get a little, you want a little more, you know, sure. and, and that was, a, that's a sure way to lead to a depressing lifestyle. And it's not to say that you can't be blessed with abundance and have nice things and, and be comfortable. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is the propensity in, in human nature and in some of our own personal natures. And I, I, I know that about myself as well, that, you know, that can't be the end game. That can't be the pursuit. And I think all the stuff that, um, uh, when, when I see those kind of people, I kind of try to focus it back. Like, what is your interest? What gets you excited? What wakes you up in the morning and gets you? Mine has always been music. I mean, I'm doing the same thing at age 56 today in November that I did back when I was 10 years, 11 years old. You know, it's amazing. Uh, you know, getting excited about music. You know, and talking about this. It's all the stuff we just talked about. You know. Yeah. So, well, follow, yeah. Find your path. Follow your path, man. Yeah. No, I'll let you go, David, because I know you got uh, stuff. I had one last question though. Um, before you, before I let you go, um, cause I did some research. I watched a lot of interviews that you did. I noticed that you're a total pro in interviews. Like you, you are the same person if you're talking to Eddie trunk or if you're talking to like a 10 year old kid, is that something you just learned over being in the music business for so many years? Or did managers like kind of coach you on how to act in interviews? Well, I remember the very first interview that I did with Megadeth. It was probably 80, 1985 or 86. And I, and I remember I, I read it back and I sat with Dave and he pointed some things out. He goes, now see how you talked about this here. No, no, no. And he, and he, cause he was, he was being critical because it was, as we called it, rock school trying to, you know, ah. keep, we, first of all, we wanted a consistent narrative in the band. Yeah. You, know, you can't have one guy over here talking about jazz another guy over here talking about, you know, we let's get a consistent narrative. And that's sort of creating that. Um, and then, of course, as I did interviews uh, over the years, I mean, I remember, I think it was went into euthanasia, we actually hired a, an, an interview coach. And I remember sitting in London and going through some interviews. And you start to kind of notice things like, are you picking your nose or fluffing your hair? Or, you know, mm. I see people today on these Zoom meetings, they get distracted. And the next thing you know, they're, you can tell they're looking at their phone. <laughs> like, hey, 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 wow. pay attention to what, be where you are. You yeah. Know, you're on point. Um, you know, and it's easy for, for, you know, technology and things to distract us, you know, but it's, um, you know, I, I think the big thing is, is just, just be yourself, man. You know, and then if you just be yourself, you don't have to kind of try to retrace your steps and go, well, who was I when I was talking to that guy? You know what I mean? It just, it just, just be who you are, you know? And, and cause people, truth always comes out. Yeah. You can see, you can see truth. You can hear truth. I'm talking truth with the capital T you know, like the real truth, it always comes out. So just, just be that. And, you know, I, I, I find then, then you never have to retrace your steps. You know? Okay. 
All right. Well, thank you so much, Drew. If you want to stick around, we can keep chatting, but I know Dave's got to get going. He's got... Uh, you guys, have a good one. All right. See ya. Thanks. Yep. Thanks. Yeah. So, and I know your charity is a uh, Toys for Tots, you told me. So your, your dad yeah. is like the president of that? Yeah, he's been the president for uh, probably about a decade now. And uh, they in Chicago. have this huge uh, parade in Chicago. There's like up like 80,000 motorcycles that's going from like uh, the north side to the south side or south side to the north side uh, every year. It got canceled this year, unfortunately, because of COVID yeah. and all that. But it's usually a, a really big attraction and all that. So that, that's something I've always been around since I was a little kid. I, uh, my parents were uh, always bikers. <laughs> okay. But, uh, yeah, they're a lot cooler than I am. Yeah, another question I was going to ask, uh, we didn't have time to it because uh, Dave interrupted us. <laughs> no, he joined in. Of course, we wanted to talk. That was amazing. Talking. He's oh, here's amazing. Here's, here's, here's another. Yes. Oh, there you go. That's. Yeah, I was going to ask him. I had so many more questions that I skipped over because I was like, well, he told me, he goes, well, probably like 20 minutes or 30 minutes if it's, if it's going well. I think he gave me like 40 minutes. I feel bad. So, um, But I was going to oh, ask yeah, you. He's great. He's amazing. Uh, I was going to ask you about this Zen from Mars project. You told me that. Um, so first of all, it's the singer from Kick Tracy. Mm-hmm. Who else is in it? Chips Enough. Uh, uh, oh yeah, yeah. See Stephen Shiro from Kick Tracy. Chips Enough from Enough's Enough. Uh, Kate Catalina, who is actually Chip's wife and a very very talented uh, piano player singer. Okay. And we got Bryn Ahrens from the band Flip, and okay. uh, Mike Keller from uh, Fear Factory and Raven and Lucid. So why explain to me, you said there's going to be two versions of the album coming out with different remastering. Is that because they couldn't agree on how to do it or what what was the story there? The the thing all started off with uh, all these instrumental demos I did while I was in Bang Tango. And I intended a lot of them to be Bang Tango songs. Okay. But but, uh, at that point, it's like they were just more concerned with playing shows and all instead of like recording new material and everything. So, so I just randomly shot uh, Stephen Chirot from Kick Tracy an email, much like I did Vin from Sponge. I just, I'd, I'd never met him before this year. I just found an email and sent him an email with the track, and he, you know, he, he did it. He, now wow. we got the band. The same thing with Stephen Chirot. Uh, and that was about ooh, five, six years ago. And um, I sent him a couple tunes, and he was like, dude, I'm all over this. And then, um, then we ended up with uh, I think 12, or 12 or 13 songs. And, um, man, that was such a learning experience, you know, is that thing, uh, it, it started off as like my baby, then it turned into me and Steven's baby. Mm. And, and on my behalf, I all, and with the rest of the guys in the band, I always wanted to make sure everybody had their, their say, like, you know, everybody has, you know, say where, where it should go, uh, and dictate where it should sound musically and all that. But there's so many moving parts and really when it came down to it, it was, um, to be perfectly truthful, it was between, uh, me, Steven and Mike. Mm. And uh, I mean, Mike shared more of the same vision instead of Steven. Which, okay. Uh, you know, and, and both visions were great. You know, they're awesome. I totally got it. And I was always the guy in the middle, you know. I, I've never said this out loud before. So you, this is, well, for whoever wants to know about Zen for Mars, I guess this would be good for him. Yeah. But, uh, and so Steven wanted to do, he ended up with doing his version uh, of, of the album. And he, that got finished uh, about a year ago. Okay. And then, uh, and me and Mike, uh, we hired a different mixer because Richard Easterling mixed that version. Richard did an incredible job. He's a wonderful mixer. And, um, but, you know, me and Mike were like, let's get a different sound, more of like the way that we were, were, were hoping to get. And so we hired uh, Lussa Lamert, who's also mixing the Lucid stuff. And, uh, and that's, we're just about done with that too. I think we're just got to get two more tracks going. And then that's, that's finished. Okay. Finally, after 
after all this time. It's like the most uh, highly anticipated album that nobody ever cared about. <laughs> oh, I can't. I, I'm excited. I liked Kick Tracy. I like Bang Tango. Um, I'm uh, just. I'll send you some of the tracks. Yeah, uh, for I, sure. I think you'll get a kick. Yeah, out. no, it's, I it's think like, it'll it's be very ethereal. It's like it's like heavy metal Bowie. Well, yeah. When um when do you think that will come out? Do you have a probably 2026. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but well like, that's uh, realistically uh, probably. I'm hoping by the summertime. Okay. I mean, uh, right now, I think what it comes down to is just artwork and and sequencing. And okay. I think Stevens already got his sequencing worked out, track listing, and all that, and everything. We're gonna have a lot of it's gonna be the same tunes, but um, but uh, but different track listing. Like we're gonna leave a couple uh, songs off of one version, and Stevens have a couple more versions on his. And uh, um, it it's. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll send you. I'll, okay. I'll send you the, the tracks, though, man. Very cool. So it's, we got that album, and then um, the uh, the Rockstar Hitman book is out uh, eight, December eighteenth, so people can get it a week before Christmas, right? Probably pre order yeah, now, absolutely. right? Absolutely, December eighteenth, yeah. and uh, yeah, you could pre order right now on uh, Barnes and Noble. You could get the the hardcover, the paperback, and the the, the ebook, and uh, you could also pre order it on Amazon as uh, a Kindle. Okay, and uh, there, there will be a paperback on Amazon. It's just that they don't allow pre-orders for paperback for whatever reason. So I'll turn that live when we get okay. close to the release date and everything. But and it'll be available worldwide and all that and everything. And uh, everybody, I know everybody's going to ask, "Hey, you guys doing autograph copies?" No, because oh, uh, okay. there's so many uh, logistics involved with sure. that. You know, I yeah. mean, it's uh, so. It, and also, I mean, Dave spoke. It's like we we're going to be doing a lot of uh, convention appearances for like the oh. dwellers and, and all that and everything. And, okay. uh, and you think it'd be a good way to get people to come out and, and, and see us and there you go. sign that way. Yeah. I know yeah. he's doing, so Ellison, he's got, there's no cover albums out now. His Ellison. Oh, uh, it's great. Yeah. It's, the, it's such a great covers album. The Ellison coffee is out. I think he's autographing bags of that. And then your guys's movie dwellers will be out soon. And the band, uh, lucid's record will be out soon. And also a new Megadeth. So a lot of stuff coming out in the works for both of you. Oh, yeah. Very but cool. As long as uh, this, uh, COVID stuff gets wrapped up, it's looking like 2021 is going to be, uh, ridiculous in a different sense than this year. <laughs> yeah. It'll be busy for sure. A lot of promotion. So very cool. Well, is there anything else that I miss anything? I feel like that's a lot of stuff to, Oh man. Um, I said definitely check out her name is Krista. And I got a, yeah. a, another movie I acted in that's coming out too from the same director writer uh, of her name is Krista called Brimstone Incorporated. That's coming out in, uh, I think, Valentine's Day. And it's like a horror movie anthology. And okay. That's, that's gonna, it's Where gonna, do you shoot these movies? In Chicago or? Actually, those those were in Ohio. Actually, for some reason, oh. I keep on getting drawn to Ohio. Chuck Mosley lived in Ohio. Okay. These movies were shot in Ohio. I shot Dwellers in Ohio. Oh. So for some reason, I keep on getting drawn to ohio <laughs> interesting all right well very cool well, thank you for doing this uh thanks to david uh get tell him thank you for me i think oh, i yeah. said thank you i hope i said thank you but very grateful for both of you to come on and and for you to help setting this up as well so appreciate oh, my it my pleasure man let's, let's do it again soon let's yeah the keep in back, touch you know, whatever you want absolutely all right sounds good man thanks all right thank you Chuck. see ya. So great to talk to you bye-bye so that was David Ellison and Drew Fortier. The book is called Rockstar Hitman. It's available on December 18th everywhere. Uh, look for the band Lucid's new album coming out soon. Look for a new Megadeth album. Uh, the new movie, the horror f- movie found footage thing is called Dwellers. That should be coming out as well. Uh, Zen from Mars is going to be uh, the album from Drew. Uh, and Ellison Coffee Company, autographed coffee bags. You can get those on Ellison's website, David Ellison's website. Uh, Ellison's solo album, No Cover, 
That's a collection of cover songs. That's out now. You can listen to it on Spotify for free. Uh, lots of cool stuff to check out. Make sure you follow Drew and Dave on social media to keep up with all this stuff. You can follow me on there as well. And if you like this episode, you can let me know by sharing it on your Instagram or Facebook. Uh, you can write me an iTunes review or leave a nice comment on YouTube. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, check out some of my past interviews. I've had some great guests like Blasco from Ozzy and Rob Zombie's band, Wiley Arnett from Sacred Reich, Rachel Bolin from Skid Row, Don Jameson from That Metal Show, Jason McMaster, singer Dangerous Toys. He sings on uh, Dave's new record and many, many more. So thank you all for listening. Thanks so much to Dave and Drew for coming on. It really was like a dream come true for me. So just remember, shoot for the moon.